welcome to Lithium Ion Rocks, Season 1, Episode 11B, Deadheads and EVs Keeping America Safe. One of the lead sponsors of Benchmark Minerals Conference in Washington, securing 21st century U.S. supply chains for EVs and energy storage, was a nonprofit organization called Securing America's Future Energy. I had the opportunity to interview the CEO of SAFE, Robbie Diamond, uh, the morning after the Benchmark Conference and found we had an enormous amount in common above and beyond our policy interests, um, both politically and on the EV thematic, but also in that we have taken inspiration from rock musicians, their lyrics, and sometimes their political activity. Uh, thanks for uh, having me this morning. Uh, it was a great uh, meeting yesterday, and I appreciate the invitation. So we started uh, Securing America's Future Energy um, and actually a sister organization called the Electrification Coalition. Uh, SAFE started in 2004 to end oil dependence for economic and national security, and the Electrification Coalition in 2008 as one of the solutions, which is to electrify ground transportation, which I'm sure matters to your uh, listeners. But going back to 2004, um, really watching uh, oil growth uh, skyrocket from uh, China and Japan at the t- uh, China and India at the time, um, watching the U.S. Uh, production go down. It was before the shale revolution. Our imports were going up. We're fighting two wars. Uh, in Afghanistan and uh, Saudi Arabia with its proximate cause, I mean, and uh, Iraq with its proximate cause uh, being oil, and uh, global war on terror, we just were, somebody's got to do something about this. Um, as uh, you noted this morning on my, uh, on my wall outside my office, there's a quote by Jerry Garcia that says, uh, Something's gotta, somebody's got to do something about it, and it's just pathetic, it has to be us. You can imagine how much I uh, bonded with this uh, Robbie Diamond here in Washington, D.C. when I saw that Grateful Dead quote, which I had no idea what it was, but it wasn't actually a song quote. It was a quote I looked up and am now going to share with you, a press conference with Jerry Garcia and Bob Weir in 1998. This was at the United Nations. They are reaching out to help the rainforest. We're here today to appeal to people who share our concern who share our outrage and who share our desire to reverse these patterns of destruction. The overconsumption, the industrial system of the planet is challenging this planet's life support systems. We're here to announce our awareness of the problem and to address it as best we can. But this much we know that it's not really an aesthetic issue. It's more an issue of survival that we're, we're, we're facing here. Somebody has to do away, something. It's, it seems it incredibly, in, in fact, it seems pathetic that it has to be us. To, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, yeah, we're not paid to do this, you know. This is not our regular work, you know what I mean? It's not my field. <laughs> it's not my field, yeah. It is now. We've never really called on our fans, the deadheads that you people probably know about, uh, to, to align themselves one way or another as far as any particular cause is concerned because of a basic paranoia about leading somewhere where... Uh, when we don't want to be the leaders. But this is, uh, we feel, is an issue that is strong enough and uh, life-threatening enough. And so I uh, created SAFE 
and recruited four-star admirals and generals and CEOs of major companies who use a lot of energy to talk about this issue from this national security and economic perspective. And our, our chairman of something called the Energy Security Leadership Council, our Fred Smith, the founder, uh, president, and uh, CEO, actually I think now he's just chairman and CEO of FedEx, who has over 900 airplanes and 85,000 vehicles. The modern-day clipper ships understands why oil is so important in a global mobile economy. And at the time, General PX Kelly, the 28th Commandant of the Marine Corps, who actually helped uh, found uh, Central Command, which at the time was called the Rapid Reaction Joint Task, uh, Joint Task Force that created Central Command, and got 25 of these amazing luminary figures to engage on this issue. And as an organization, we see the problem as... Um, the need for oil for all of transportation, essentially. Um, therefore, we're just totally dependent on this one commodity in this global mobile economy. Unfortunately, that commodity is uh, traded um, with a cartel acting out there, trying to manipulate the price, uh, OPEC, which uh, comes from very unstable places. So it's incredibly volatile in price, which makes it very difficult for consumers and businesses to both invest in, and, uh, and know how to uh, use it, what, what vehicles, et cetera, to buy, and, um, and really said what we need to do in a very nonpartisan way was let's produce what we can domestically. Uh, that's important from a balance of payments, more oil from a stable country like the United States. Let's use it as efficiently as possible, and therefore uh, every dollar of uh, GDP you squeeze out of a barrel uh, the more secure you are because the less oil-intensive your economy is, and therefore we're, we, we were pushing for fuel economy standards. At that time, we helped write the bill the first time in 30 years that fuel economy standards were raised that President Bush signed in 2007. And let's diversify our fuel sources in transportation, and therefore we were very big proponents of electric vehicles. And as I said, created this electrification coalition, which you can talk more about. Um, since then, um, we have also really gotten involved in autonomous vehicles and really believe that it's this, um, this idea that many companies call it CASE, Connected Autonomous Shared and Electric, or another company calls it ACES, Autonomous Connected Electric and Shared. And it's this self-reinforcing, um, this idea that each one helps uh, push the other forward. And so we, we do believe that and have been very involved in this sort of autonomous and uh, shared part of our, our, our transportation sector. So, Robbie, I was under the impression, and we've been uh, sort of uh, spinning this narrative that, uh, uh, you know, America has is now, like through the fracking revolution and everything, we're, we're somewhat energy independent now, but the goalposts are moving because we're, we're moving toward... Uh, you know, non-oil, but you, you had some uh, views that were, were not uh, as independent as you may believe. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about, like, what are the various things that SAFE do, and in particular, is NOPEC legislation you have, and then talk more specifically about the presentation you gave at um, the Benchmark Conference as it pertains to the current dynamic in Washington and you know the issues uh, you mentioned. I think a Reuters quote that uh, we were reliant on the Middle East, and, and now we're reliant on China. So um, that's a lot in, in that. But uh, why don't you go from there? 
I'll keep it uh, short, and then you can continue to bring those out on me, okay? So, uh, look, I'll just talk about the dependence thing quickly. Yeah, I think we are living in a bit of a, of a mirage uh, for people in the United States because we have this shale production. And, uh, yeah, it's great, and we're big supporters of it. But in the end of the day, um, oil is a global price for the most part. Uh, it is, as I said, traded on a global market, and that market is uh, corrupted by uh, collusion. And uh, basically, we have to try to intuit what uh, Saudi Arabia and now Russia and OPEC Plus are going to do, as well as worry what's going to happen in all these unstable countries. So we are betting the future of the Western world and, uh, and the most powerful country on, on this, this idea, because even if we produce all our own oil, uh, we still are going to have that, have that uh, higher price. That, that being said, I, I would note that we do still import oil. Um, you know, the United States uses over 20 million barrels a day. We produce uh, 10.9 million barrels a day and import 7.8. Now, most of that does come from Canada and Mexico, uh, but still, the price is determined on a global market. So we don't just see the idea of not having oil as the problem. It's also the volatile price uh, because you can't make the investments and everything else. So if you believe that uh, something happens in the world um, the United States isn't still going to send the sixth and seventh fleet to go solve the problem of our military leader, our military to go do that. Um, then you're you're fooling yourself. We know, working with these military leaders, that when they're at the Pentagon, uh, they at the in the tank are talking about what their actions will do to the price of oil. So oil determines both our foreign policy and our military flexibility. We should not have that anymore. And if we were not dependent because we used electric vehicles where you have diverse uh, domestic uh, fuels to power up, to make electricity, and then you have stable prices of electricity, uh, we are fools. That gives us the ultimate flexibility to do what we want to do. And as I said, uh, I don't think we're dependent on China yet, but we don't want to go from dependence on the Middle East to, uh, as we saw in the 1970s and until now, uh, to dependence on China, who who could manipulate transportation just as they manipulate uh, oil if they own the EV supply chain? You mentioned there's a lot of things. You mentioned autonomous. What I've observed in America is that there's been major investments in autonomous and GM and 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 Ford and, and Silicon Valley connected, whereas China has been largely focused on you know, building battery factories and securing supply. And you've had some reaction in America. There's obviously the Green New Deal, which was a very left, uh, you know, proposal. But you have Marco Rubio, you mentioned, Lamar Alexander, who are Republicans, and now Lisa Murkowski introducing legislation, you know, on this topic. America is definitely behind in their understanding of securing kind of the mineral supply chain. But we have we're one of the few places in the world where you can go from, you know, raw material in the ground to chemical to cathode to battery to electric vehicle. We're missing a little bit the cathode. And I'm, I've been a big advocate of Umicore and others to kind of come here and build uh, factories there as well as more battery factories like SK Innovation. But maybe you could just talk about that 
dynamic and and how you see the politics of this playing out because this benchmark event is the first of hopefully many more of this and again the momentum of the Murkowski legislation etc there's a dialogue here that's happening and the election's coming up next year and it's going to be more topical than it, than it has been, I think, than in the last kind of couple of years. If you could just give us a perspective, again, there's a lot in that question, but um, your reaction. So EVs have gone through, you know, various iterations in Washington. And although Senator Murkowski introduced this bill, how connected it is to EVs and this entire supply chain, in her view, the supply chain, you know, I don't know if we know yet. But the truth is, is that EVs are basically pushed by the environmental movement as some climate change thing. And the worst day for EVs that could have ever happened was Barack Obama got into the Chevy Volt and it became a democratic car. Now, I think it's the greatest national security tool we have. We're willing to build an aircraft carrier for $7 billion and Republicans are willing to fund that without uh, thinking twice. And yet the Chevy Volt, which is an American-made uh, vehicle with our technology that gets us, us off oil so we don't have to build that aircraft carrier is just seen as a climate thing. So we spend our time here digging in that ditch with our military leaders to try to convince people otherwise. Um, and then two is, I, I remember when Nissan, I'll just do as an example, Nissan came out with its first commercial for the Nissan Leaf and they had a polar bear hug the owner for owning it and I went to uh, Carlos Ghosn and I said, can you please like pull that commercial? Because there's so many cues in our country now, like Barack Obama getting into the vault or this polar bear hugging uh, this uh, owner, that it just sets everyone off the other way. And it is very difficult. So I think there are three narratives for electric vehicles. One is climate. Um, two is uh, oil dependence. And three now is this China question. And I think the China one is in some ways the most powerful and actually hopefully allows us to reset the talking points with Republicans um, and more, more conservative members. So I think that they are focused on this um, as a national security threat, but I don't know if they haven't yet. And what we're trying to do is connect the incentives for, for, for example, the incentives for people to buy the car, you know, to actually build the market, the charging, everything that has to go into it, connect that to the question of the mines and the question of the minerals, as well as building the other pieces of the, of the supply chain. So that, that's the opportunity now with uh, China, because it's real, um, and they care, and more and more people care about that question. Um, but at the same time, I don't know yet if there's the total link, because you know, the other thing that, uh, you know, the great uh, mirage that's been, you know, pulled over, wool's been pulled over people's eyes is this question of oil as being a free market. And you'd mentioned this NOPEC thing before, and I'll just mention that quickly. So these, uh, these legislators say to us all the time, like, oh, the free, you know, Republicans, the free market will solve this problem. Until you go to them and say, like, but there is no free market. Saudi Arabia in 2014 flooded the market with, like, a million barrels, and the price dropped to $20. And what happened? Right? Our shale producers, you know, okay, got more efficient. Over 200 went bankrupt. They came out. They're like, once again, more efficient. Tons of displaced capital. But what happened to the investments in EVs in the United States? Same problem. So here we have uh, the competitor on the other side that's trying to both, you know, drive the price up for themselves over a certain amount of years, but then plummet the price so then consumers don't buy it. And the same thing with uh, sort of China and this mining, right? So on one hand, um, you know, all these people say we should do something about it. Oh, let's, I, I thought yesterday someone said 
that we should uh, finally move these, this question from just a list of rare earth metals or a list of things we should do to actually doing them. Yeah, because China's manipulating markets all the time. So we act in the United States as there's some, some pure market out there, and we need to figure out how do we keep the best of our market system at the same time as like not being a bunch of fools that lose the battle because they're a bunch of mercantilists uh, doing uh, what, they, what they want. And you know, there's tons of precedent in the United States. When nuclear was a national security issue, we built the, na- the nuclear industry around the world from scratch because we wanted it. And I think uh, batteries, uh, electric vehicles are, are exactly where uh, we were there. And now we have to convince people, once again, to just not talk about it and not just, you know, deal with, like, maybe the mining issue. But they have to think about the entire value chain all the way to the consumers. That's the key question at the moment. And then we have to convince the environmentalists who want electric vehicles, you actually have to get something out of the ground to make the battery. And, you know, they, they think it's going to happen ex nilo, you know, uh, it just appears. Uh, and or, or they just, like, will say, well, as long as we don't see it in America, someone else will do it somewhere in the world, and it's not our problem. And I think that that's uh, the, the challenge on the other side. It's a good point you're making there, and I think uh, Simon Moore's was this critical minerals list, you know, I don't know, it has the 25, 30, whatever. It, it, it gets very distracting, and what's important are kind of the four metals that go into the battery that he was talking about, so lithium, cobalt, graphite, nickel, um, that w- we need to focus on. And lithium, in, in particular, is a niche metal. We have opportunities here in the United States. And in my mind, there's not like a lot of shovel-ready projects in America that have not, you know, had issues getting, um, you know, permanent necessarily. Yes, if you're on federal land, and Murkowski's bill, I think, is focused on streamlining the permitting process. But uh, the incentives for the across the industry and there are some capital market you know free market you know dislocations that are not operating effectively and and I think uh, James Calloway at Ioneer was advocating for specific policy proposals like loan guarantees or tax abatements which were put in place by uh, Obama's Department of Energy through the Obama stimulus plan there was a lot of loan guarantees given to solar wind geothermal and a few other things but not so much mining. Uh, So I'm hopeful that through this continued dialogue that there'll be some resonance in Washington. I'm not fully confident it's going to happen, you know, in this election cycle. Uh, uh, But uh, there are... There's Trump on the one hand, you know, and then there's the agencies on the other who are of of mixed and and varied... um, opinion on this. But one thing that I've been advocating for is Lisa Murkowski is from Alaska. Alaska has a permanent fund similar to Norway's, you know, sovereign wealth fund, where if they just allocated some of that $60 billion to this thematic on the mentality that, like, we can't just rely on oil forever, that this is an alternative, I'm hopeful that, um, you know, gains some, some legs. What's your sense for the political appetite for all of this dialogue to actually translate into some policies that could be supportive of the mineral industry in in terms of actually, you know, dollars uh, being allocated somehow? One has to have low confidence in anything that goes on in Washington these days, so I'm not going to sound like a fool. 
but I do believe there are certain thematics that are now uh, being supported on both sides. And I think this China thing, whatever you think of the Trump administration, has been something that uh, has been embraced, that we do have this incredible problem with China, that we have not dealt with it seriously, that sort of sucking up to them and hoping that everything changes is not really going to do it, and that they've basically been ripping us off and stealing all of our IP. Um, And I think that's broad on both sides, and I think that, therefore, you do have an opportunity. What What you need to do is keep out the ideology on both sides. Um, that's why, you know, I think, you know, having, you don't want to lead with the environmental questions. You do not want to make this about climate. EVs should not be about climate, but rather this national security threat. At the same time, you want to, uh, get the environmentalists to be supportive of some of this mining activity for the vehicles, um, and battery storage that they want. So I think that something can happen. And look, Washington does like spending money. That's the one thing we know. They both like spending money. Um, so I'm confident that if I had to pick a space where something can happen, this is the one. You just have to be smart about it, and you have to be consistent, and you have to be persistent uh, to do something. So my, my look, but I still have a fear, right? My fear is ha- what's the uptake rate of electric vehicles in the United States, and is it seen as a failure at the moment? Now, I know that many people here say, look, you look at the numbers, it's unbelievable, so we have staff at SAFE that are at, not only do we do stuff in Washington to end oil dependence and drive the electric vehicle uh, agenda, but we have staff working in cities with dealers, working with uh, utilities, working with uh, municipalities to help, you know, get consumers to buy it, to get the infrastructure put there. And I would say, like, one reason we came to the autonomous vehicle agenda is we saw how hard it is to get someone to buy an electric vehicle. And, you know, we do have... a a capitalist system and consumers are not flocking there. I do think car companies now believe this is the future, but at safe, we kind of look at this as the, the fable, the, uh, the tortoise and the hare, right? And, uh, we see ourselves as, uh, they both get to the end of the race, but we want to make a faster tortoise or a more focused hare. That's what we try to do here. And look, I'm not totally confident. I I live in the world of Andy Grove. Only the paranoid survive. And I'm completely paranoid. And if you look at the numbers, you ask your questions about, like, the government, you know, Republicans basically say all the time, oh, no one wants these things. And the only places that support it is, like, California, where you have mandates and you've got subsidies and everything else. So we've got to turn the corner both to get the United States to be and our political leaders to see this as a, you know, something we have to stick with over the long term, but also ask ourselves the question, right? Let's not act as all the, we've solved this problem on the consumer side or on the fleet side. I think it's, I think it's challenging. Like China can tell you uh, what to do. I, I just have a funny story. So we work with these four star admirals and generals. We were at CES this year or two years ago. And we had this roundtable discussion, and one CEO said, well, Shenzhen has 40,000 electric vehicles. And, you know, in New York, only it's 4,000 total, I'm sorry, not electric vehicles, buses, 40,000 buses. I don't know if that's true or not. You never know what's really going on. Um, and so, and so the, the general looked over at the person. He said, you have a choice, electric buses or freedom. The other person said, why can't I have both? 
But I mean, there's truth in that. And, you know, I think that that is the the difficult uh, moment we have. And I don't think people saying like, oh, we should just leave this and it will happen. And, you know, everyone's going to build these things to us. It's safe. We should take nothing to chance. We shouldn't let the political side go to chance, but we shouldn't focus on the consumer side. I mean, we could talk about dealers. I could spend a whole thing about dealers. Talk about OPEC being a cartel. Dealers are a cartel, and they don't want to sell electric vehicles. And the only people who can sell you something are dealers, but they have they make their money on parts. So what do you think they're going to sell you in the end? Right. That's why Tesla has this whole battle uh, going on. And, and was Tesla successful? No, they were unsuccessful. Because dealers are incredibly politically powerful. So the United States has to, I think, change a lot of things to make this successful. I think in the end we will get there. But what is the time? Is it two decades or can we make it one decade? That will stop one recession. That will stop one global conflict. To me, that matters. Again, there was a lot in there. Um, I wrote a, a new <laughs> one of my recent uh, newsletters was about tortoise and hare in relation to uh, actually Piedmont lithium as being the, the hare relative to some other stocks that had performed uh, a lot better a lot sooner. But um, you know, it, it looks like uh, Piedmont may be uh, winning the race. One of the comments you made previously was that every recession was preceded by an oil price spike. So maybe, I hope it's not as long as you just articulated, you know, 20 years or whatever. And I do believe that the EV uptake is is better. They're better cars. Um, Tesla, everyone loves the Model 3. We have a lead here. This is a, a Make America Great Again company, I think. I mean, it espouses everything that the Trump administration wants, which is high-end manufacturing here in the United States. So I, I, with GM and Ford and making an investment in Rivian and, and uh, you know, GM going to introduce 20, you know, new vehicles over the course of the next number of years, these are better cars than the Chevy Volt, right? And even the Chevy Bolt. I, I'm, I'm optimistic. Costs are coming down. Batteries are coming down. But it would just be... It's great they spend money. They're talking about an infrastructure bill. I was thinking, I've always thought from the outset of the administration that there could be common ground, you know, a highway bill, just to allocate some money for charging infrastructure, right, to deal with the range anxiety kind of question, right? So that's a specific policy measure. Again, this, uh, you know, sovereign wealth fund or endowments, you know, CalPERS, who are very focused on impact investing and ESG, if they start thinking that you know, mining this stuff out of the ground is not a dirty industry, but is actually an enabler for this whole uh, supply chain and national security. Uh, th these are topics that I am going to continue to pound the table on, you know, as an American citizen, because it's it's frustrating. I'm focused here on the lithium space, and it's all, I say, invest in lithium companies because of what's happening in China and what's happening in in Europe, in Germany, et cetera. But, you know, the U.S., I'm embarrassed, is, is such a, a laggard. On the other hand, there's so much negativity toward the United States, so I only see potential upside uh, surprise uh, if we can get some kind of common ground here. But uh, I watch what's happening with Nancy Pelosi and and Barr and the Attorney General. <laughs> Just, uh, every day I'm hopeful I, I get another slap in the face that our politics is just... Um, problematic. But uh, let's leave on a positive note. Are you, uh, you know, you've been in business, I guess, as a nonprofit since 2004, 2004. 
So during the 2008, 9, 10 time frame under the Obama administration, you know, the political winds were kind of at your back. Um, and, uh, you know, so how, how do you how do you see this? Let's leave something optimistic uh, that we, we we could leave on here. The, the fact that we had 100, 130, you know, registered you know attendees at at this benchmark event. I thought it was a, a very good event. It was it was unclear to me what the ultimate uh, outcome is. Maybe it's the beginning of the beginning of this uh, policy. But just give us a uh, you know some closing thoughts on on hopefully an optimistic ones. First of all, I'm an optimist, or I would never have started safe, and I wouldn't be doing this for all these years. I uh, I see myself as uh, succeeding and putting myself out of business, so I can go do something else. So I, I'm a big optimist. I just say that I think the challenges are great, and people sort of dismiss them, right? So the wool is pulled over our eyes that we're oil independent, where we're not. Um, where the the wool is pulled over our eyes that, you know, everyone else, the free markets will solve these problems, the pure free market when China is out there, you know, being our, uh, someone once uh, said that uh, the Chinese uh, make the Japanese look like free traders. That, uh, so I think that uh, I, I, am, I am an optimist. Now, at the same time, I wouldn't just say like Obama, the wind was at our back. I think the most important thing to do is, uh, one, invest money in Washington for this agenda and try to make it so it's not a climate agenda. Because I don't think you're going to solve the long, larger ideological problem that Republicans have. And the beautiful thing is when it comes to wind and solar, the only reason you have to argue for that basically in America is sort of like climate, which I'm not denying at all. But if you have an agenda item called electric vehicles, called battery storage, that is a national security agenda item, that the military wants batteries, that we can get off our oil, that we can uh, you know, fight for the commanding heights of the future against our you know, emerging greatest adversary, um, I think that you want to embrace that. And that requires those companies that were here, those 130, to be here to invest in you know, hopefully organizations like us, but like others, um, and to do the hard work in explaining why this matters. Because even in an, you know, uh, if, if this is always seen as, um, you know, sort of a democratic issue, that we only do EVs for that, I think that's a bad thing. Um, we see now watching uh, Obama come in and get rid of President Bush's things and then uh, Ob- Trump come in and get rid of Obama's things, that the only things that work in the United States that have lasting value are bipartisan pieces of legislation or support. That's what we need here because the investments that these companies, 130, are making are billion dollar, are going to be billion dollar multi-decade investments. And therefore, it's really important that, that we do that. I think it's very possible. I think that if I had to pick one agenda item where you can convince Democrats and Republicans to do, this is it. National security, dealing with the China threat, and dealing with oil dependence so we, have to, so we can stop supporting these regimes that don't share our values. I think that that is the most broad American issue out there. And I just think that people need to come and make that argument in a more sustained way, and we'll get to where we need to go. 
I agree with that, and I would just add the uh, infrastructure element to it as well, because, uh, again, it's part, I see this as a make America great again industry, and we have the leading company in Tesla, and uh, if only we could just have more enabling of, and support of that general thematic in the way, uh, because otherwise, you know, the, the, who doesn't want cleaner air in Washington, D.C.? I'm at a bus stop, you know, inhaling, um, you know, the bus fumes. Uh, I, it would it, just be better if it was an electric bus. Anyhow, with that, uh, very nice talking to you, Robbie. Hope to, uh, you know, follow up again in the future. I hope to be in Washington, D.C., you know, a bit more over time and, and watch the evolution of this dialogue. If I can do one uh, pitch, we actually are going to be uh, working on a paper that we'll probably be putting out in the fall that's uh, looking at this fight for the commanding heights, um, looking at the entire supply chain of EVs, AVs, and uh, battle with uh, China in particular uh, for this. So uh, you have a lot of listeners out there who care. We'd love to recruit them both for uh, information that we can incorporate. There will be very specific recommendations for our government. Um, and, uh, and I guess for society as a whole, and we'd love their information. We'd love their support and, uh, hope you'll, uh, I hope you won't cut this section of my part of the podcast because, uh, we'd love to work with all these people. Thanks a lot. Rest assured, I will keep that in there, as I will. Uh, you mentioned a Jerry Garcia quote, so we immediately bonded on that. This is lithium-ion rocks, and, uh, I would say, um, trucking is, uh, 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 you know, a song I've used before and uh, may use again. Thanks again, Robbie. In Lithium Ion Rocks, Lithium Ion Bull, and through our respective LinkedIn and Twitter posts, Rodney and I may share with our audience some rationale for a stock for which we have conviction, to own or not to own. If you agree or disagree with and act on or against the rationale of anything said or written in this or any other Lithium Ion Rocks or Lithium Ion Bull, that's your free choice. But to be clear, what you are listening to or reading is not investment advice and may not be unbiased. It should not be construed as an investment recommendation to buy or sell any security. Rodney and I are not registered investment advisors nor broker-dealers. Please visit libull.com for further disclaimers.